Welcome to Rainmakers. Now to our host, Carl Grant. Welcome to Rainmakers. I'm here with Zach Livingston, head of sales at ClearTrace. Welcome, Zach. Thanks, Carl. Thanks for having me. Well, Zach is a friend of a friend who recently moved to Austin, Texas. Well, not so recently. You've been here about a year, but uh, or half a year, I guess. Correct. Yeah. Uh, came from New York City, which is a big, big transition, a transition I did. Um, we probably moved here about the same time in Austin, Texas. And it's an interesting, interesting time to be talking with Zach because we're, we're going to be talking about his career. And he spent his his entire career in in environmental science and he's selling now in that space and he's he's passionate about that space and so zach tell us a little bit about what got you interested in this whole space yeah i'd be happy to thanks carl and you know i really would have to go a little bit back to undergrad as a kid that was just trying to figure out you know where he wanted to focus his career um and i was lucky enough to take one class in undergrad called climate and international society that was taught by a professor who had recently been laid off from NCAR, which was the National Center for Atmospheric Research out in Boulder, Colorado. And mind you, this was at the height of the economic crisis in around 2008, 2009. And it was a class that was recommended to me by my college advisor. And it was just all about climate's impact on international society in the form of politics and socioeconomics and policy. And it was just one of those classes where you're sitting there and you really kind of feel the resonation, kind of that, that personal feeling welling up inside you, right? That this is something I'm really excited about, right? It's, it's science, it's technology, it's policy, it's an existential issue. And that class really kind of set me on my journey. And from that point on, I really started exploring different areas of climate, uh, especially with the technology relation to climate. And that was really kind of the start of my career journey in this space. Yeah, it's interesting. My, my daughter will be embarrassed that I'm mentioning her on my podcast here, but I, I have a daughter. Um, I have five kids, and you're expecting your first kid, so it's a, an exciting time. Um, That's right. And, Any day. Yeah, right. So we're recording today, so we're not doing it while your wife is going into labor. Um, <laughs> but my, my daughter uh, is very much like you, passionate about the, the climate. Uh, and I'll give you an example. We, we took a hike a few years back to Machu Picchu, and um, by the end of the hike, she was known by every park ranger in in the entire park, not for anything she tried to be noticed for, but she she happened to pick up every little candy wrapper and piece of trash she saw along the trail because she cared about the environment. And and so she's she's tried to figure out how to, you know, fig, fit that into a career. Right. I mean, you can't really I guess you could make a, a career of picking up trash in parks, but, you know, she she's very smart and, and very ambitious and. And uh, she's landed herself um, an investment banking uh, analyst job with Society Generale this summer in the whole renewable space, which is pretty exciting. And, and she speaks French. And so it looks like you've been able to take your passion and work it into some interesting jobs where you're head of sales and you've been director of sales and you've worked for energy companies. Talk a little bit about your career and, and how you've been able to navigate this. Sure. You know, so after that initial class, I took a few internships, which were very focused on kind of research and policy, which I enjoyed, but I really kind of wanted to figure out how to get into that integration of climate and technology. And I was lucky enough to land an entry level position at a company called Locus Energy, which was a third party monitoring and analytics company for renewable energy assets that was really focused around performance optimization and portfolio management across the portfolio of renewable energy assets. 
And I was just lucky enough to kind of be given that entry level opportunity, right? I didn't have relevant experience, but they gave me the opportunity to see what I can do. And I really kind of excelled from there. And my first four or five years at that company, I was a technical resource for the organization. So I was picking up the phone, I was answering emails, a bit of a phone jockey position, but it gave me a lot of intimate knowledge around the challenges and interworkings of how to make that product, the thing we were selling successful. Um, and I was lucky enough that at a, a very startup-y time of the organization, we were actually hand building our commercial and industrial hardware from a data acquisition perspective out of our shared little midtown office space. So quite literally, I, half the day I would spend with my hands in the equipment, actually wiring it and configuring it. And this combination of supporting our clients and literally having my hands in it every day gave me just a really unique perspective and experience around the product in relation to the customer problem. And after about five years kind of in that role, my company had a successful exit and some senior leadership moved on to bigger and better things. And it opened up an opportunity to me, for me to move over to the sales side. So what I did was I really brought that technical aptitude, that really kind of intimate knowledge of the interworkings of the product over to the sales side of things. And I think it's really set me up with a unique perspective and kind of differentiation for how I, um, how I really view sales by really focusing on the customer problem first and how the technology works and then looking to apply that to customer relationship management. And talk a little bit about that customer relationship management, because I, I, I take it through your career, you've built some relationships, you've, you've started to build relationships in town with people that, that you and I both know, great people. Um, talk about yeah. how you build and cultivate those relationships over time. Yeah, I think the first thing for me is, you know, I want to be that individual representing my organization that is kind of that person of trust, right? I want to build that trust and I want to build that trust, not just through being a personable person, but through knowledge and them trusting me that if they're going to pay me or my company for a solution, you know, I want to be their trusted advisor at the company. I want them to say, hey, Zach's that guy that I'm going to call. He's going to pick up the phone and he's going to help me solve my problem, whether that's through his own knowledge, his networking, his way to kind of navigate internally across an organization or a problem. And I really start there that when I think about customer relationship management, I really think of it as I want to be that core trusted advisor representing my company so that when my um, client or my prospect has a question or a problem, they know exactly who they're calling. And then from there, you know, really kind of build the personal relationship on top. So starting with the knowledge and the trust kind of as a consultative advisor, both from my company's perspective, as well as the market perspective. And by kind of holding that true, you know, then kind of building a personal relationship on top of that. And have you taken any of those relationships from company to company or did they end at the particular company that you're with? No, they definitely did. Right. And even if it's not from a professional standpoint, right, like I may not be selling the same exact product or offering to the same exact user or buyer. But I always like to say it's not just about network for selling, it's about network for knowledge, right? And the ability to look across, um, look across the market or look across a specific segment within that market and know someone that I can just call and have a conversation with. Or maybe it's organically turning into selling because they know someone that would be interested in the product. So, you know, always cultivating my network, not just for selling a specific product that does XYZ, but looking at my network for knowledge, for the ability to ask questions, for introductions, and for direct selling opportunities. 
And I was looking back, you're, you're, you're not that old of a guy. You won the 33 under 33 award. <laughs> First time I've seen that award. But, um, and so I, I look back at, at when you were in college, you were very involved with your fraternity and, and your interest in the environment went all the way back to there. And, and talk a little bit about the, the um, you know, kind of good deeds you did there, environmentally related, and, and do, do you still keep those relationships? Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. Fraternity is supposed to be about a brotherhood, <clears throat> pardon me. And, uh, you know, some of those quote unquote brothers I made are some of my best friends and some of the folks that I had at my wedding party, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, I think for being in a fraternity was obviously about a organization and building friendship, but also maintaining core values, right? And some of those core values were about giving back. So we did do some things in collaboration at the national level um, with our fraternity, for example, um, when there was significant flooding in Iowa, uh, we drove out to Iowa from Colorado, um, joined the University of Iowa, uh, Phi Kappa Psi, and really helped with a lot of that flood organization, flood management, cleaning up, putting up sandbags. And, you know, it's, it shows what you can do when you have mission and when you really care about using the power of people to try to do good. And I think I've brought kind of that experience throughout my career journey as well. That's great, Zach. And, and so I, I told you I was going to talk to you about this. So so we're you and I are both living in Texas and, you know, all of us like to see uh, a good environment and, you know, <laughs> clean energy and all these things. Um, but we just – and this air, that won't air too much later after this episode, but we just lived through like the snow apocalypse in, in Texas, which I actually moved here to get away from snow. And I couldn't believe it when it followed me here. Not just snow, but ice and like a whole week of uh, being you know, like stuck inside with, no, you know, electricity coming and going. And my neighbors didn't have water or heat. And it was pretty rough. Uh, I mean, we survived. Most of us did. How do you – so so? where is the the balancing act between kind of the renewable stuff and then the, the frozen windmills uh, when this kind of stuff happens? Yeah. So firstly, I, I agree with you. You know, I lived my entire life in the Northeast and this was a whole different beast. And I'm sure you feel the same way. Right. And it's, it's not about the weather. It's about the resulting impacts of the weather. Right. And really, it was the failure of the power system. You know, and I think renewables, uh, the conversation around renewables has turned into a bit of a political conversation. It's unfortunate. Right. I think at the even at the governor level, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the initial blame went on wind and the turbines. And the reality was the the wind portion of the energy mix in ERCOT, which is the um, independent organization which manages electricity in Texas, was a very small part. You know, it wasn't just a failure of renewables, it was really a failure of the power system. Uh, renewables, natural gas, coal, nuclear, it all failed equally. And it's not a problem of the actual generation sources, it's a problem really of weatherization and preparation and broader communication, right? I mean, the reality was the whole state, not just ERCOT, was very ill prepared for this you know and i think not just from a as a individual that works in the industry but just as a citizen within austin texas i mean we had no idea anything was going to go wrong right i mean it wasn't until sunday night that you heard anything about rolling blackouts oh yeah yeah you, know, no, we, people, you and i were both freezing together to, despite what our political views may be or any of that like all all we wanted to do was survive you know this is crazy so so i guess the larger the, the larger question zach you know you're a relationship builder and 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 you care and, and i care like how do people across political spectrums and across across ideologies whether you want you know windmills or oil or whatever like how do people communicate better to avoid these kind of situations in the future 
Yeah, <clears throat> you know, and I think a part of it's technology, right? I mean, the second this stuff started happening, I took a step back and thought, you know, what are the different areas of this market which could work together in a collaborative and cohesive sense to address these problems, right? And a lot of the problems were about better forecasting, better communication, um, local resiliency, you know, which is resiliency meaning really keeping the grid up, right, on a consistent basis. So, you know, we really saw this tale of, of circuits, right? Where it's like, if you were on a circuit that had a hospital or police station, you were, you maintained power, whereas you could be across the street and have no power. So a lot of this, it isn't just about utility scale generation. It's about local distributed energy resources, right? Putting panels up on a roof, having battery and storage capability, looking at microgrid structures, giving more control at a much more local level. And I think this combination of resiliency, preparation, improved forecasting technology, and renewable energy is going to be part of that narrative. But I think it's about a lot of the stakeholders within the industry coming together to really address this with smart and intelligent solutions. So when there's a, you know, problems like this, there's obviously um, opportunities, uh, especially you're in the industry. What, what kind of opportunities do you foresee for the energy industry after experiencing like this one in a hundred years type event? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a wake-up call, right? It's not just for Texas, but it's for everyone. I yeah, mean, there's right. a lot that goes back to the policy and design of the uh, energy system within the United States, which is a combination of regulated and deregulated markets. And I think as most folks know now, you know, ERCOT in Texas is an isolated electricity market. And there's a lot of benefits that come in terms of price and access to energy. But then, you know, when things like this occur at a statewide level, we see the effects of it. So I think smart policy, smart design, proper incentivization, where a lot of these power plants, you know, were really only incentivized to play price arbitrage, which means they're, you know, really turning on their facility when the price makes sense, as opposed to being a resource from a resiliency level, which is meaning, you know, power the grid when there's a problem. So I think it needs to be the right policy design and incentives. We need to look at new technology applications and proliferation that can address more local resiliency of the problem. And I think it's also about collaboration, right? We can't just do it alone. You know, myself as an individual or as a part of one company, you know, it's about coming together as an industry, coming together as a state and really looking across the broad spectrum of problems and thinking creatively about how to prevent this going forward. You yeah, know, it's a- not just about access to power, but it's about this broader problem around decarbonization at the same time. So I always like to end these uh, interviews with uh you know, we get a lot of students and younger people listening and, and a lot of times they listen and they learn about career opportunities that they didn't know about. So for, for a young person listening, uh, you know, one of my daughter's college friends and, and at school, it, they hear what you're doing and they, they think it's pretty cool. What, what could they be doing to prepare themselves to do something like what you're doing today? I'd say the first thing is just read, you know, the amount of information and resource material on the internet freely available is enormous, right? And I think the ability to find companies you're interesting in, interested in and read about the problems they're addressing, right? So when I have younger people come to me interested in a job, you know, if they just come to me and say, hey, ClearTrace sounds like a cool company, you know, what can I do? That's not as strong a statement as, hey, ClearTrace is a cool company and I really appreciate the problems that they're solving in this manner. Or what do you think of this company that's, you know, also seeming to operate in a similar space? So. I think when you're looking for a job, you know, be knowledgeable, be well-versed and well-researched. And there's just so much information you can find. And I'm also a big fan of LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is such a great platform for connections and networking. 
And I've said it before that if you connect with the right people on LinkedIn, you know, your homepage is your best asset, right? Not only from uh, your connections and updates, but as far as the resource material, you know, I kind of have used the comparison to Pandora, where it's like, if you like all the music you like, then the music coming back to you is only going to be things you like. Well, if you connect with all the right people, then the resource and the content coming back to you is really only going to be things you care about. So read as much as you can, use LinkedIn for connections and have conversations with people. Zach Livingston, great advice. The head of sales at ClearTrace. Thanks for joining us on Rainmakers. Great. Thanks, Carl. Appreciate it. You have been listening to Rainmakers with Carl Grant.